It's been two weeks since I've been let go at my job, and I still haven't told my wife. You see, I'm the one paying bills. Before any of you start accusing me of being a chauvinist, sexist pig who wanted a wife home, please just listen to this. My wife was diagnosed with severe anxiety, and therefore she does not get out of the house a lot. She works from home as a freelancer, but between you and I, I'm the one bringing money back home. And unfortunately, despite all my efforts to keep our department alive, my boss still decided to cut us loose. And well, with the holidays approaching, I couldn't bear to tell her that this trip south we wanted to do had to be canceled. Don't mistake me. I'm the kind of guy who could get back up from any situation, but I'm not stupid. Nobody's going to do any interviews before mid-January, for sure. And while I do have some savings, it's going to be barely enough to pay for all our needs, mortgage included. So, I did something I never thought I would do in my whole life. I lied to my wife told her I needed to go to Toronto for a meeting and that I would be back by Friday, but that was a lie. I was going to make some money the way so many students and healthy young men do when they don't want to work. I gave my name to participate in a clinical trial. I passed all the required medical examinations, and though I was on the older side of their study, they said it was still okay. It was an 18 to 35 year old thing, and I was going to be 36 in February, so that was really borderline. It did pay well, however. Depending on the symptoms, my compensation could go up to $4,000. Well, hell, I couldn't spit on that. When I went to try pharma, I have to admit that I didn't feel so good about this. They made me sign a non-disclosure agreement as well as a discharge in case things took a turn for the worse. And I still signed because I know I couldn't make that much money in so little time. But part of me kind of wished the symptoms would be kept to a minimum. While I could always tell my wife I got the flu in Toronto, I doubt that skin rashes or blisters would be very convincing flu symptoms. I also had little to no idea what. I was going to be a guinea pig for. The head scientist that I met in the exams told me that they were developing a medication that acted as a mitochondria enhancer, and I had no idea what that meant or if that was possible, or if I was just being fed bullshit with long words to keep me from asking questions. I wasn't going to get poked with needles without knowing what I was being experimented on for. And I asked the scientist to elaborate in words what a middle-class man like me could understand. Her expression froze for a second in kind of a surprised look. Half a smile, wide open eyes, brows slightly knitted. And I didn't care that she looked at me that way, but I do not suppose many people ask her what they're being injected with. Kind of shocking, really. And they probably didn't have many patients my age or of my social status. And after a couple of seconds, she took a sudden deep breath and intertwined her fingers over the pile of papers I just signed and started explaining. She told me the role of mitochondria in a cell 
in a bit of their finding. And after 15 minutes, I was still confused, but I basically understood it. They isolated something in the cell that acted on the mitochondria thing, and it was possible to regenerate dead cells and even make it better than it was when it was alive. It sounded a bit unbelievable, but at least I knew a little more about why I was here. I nodded to signify that I understood and I was ready to proceed. And the woman finally gave me a date and location, explaining that most tests and trials were taken outside this main facility, which served the purpose of headquarters, just archiving and filing stuff. I shrugged it off, shook hands, and went back home to kiss my wife and prepare my luggage for my trip to Toronto. The next day, I was driving 50 miles south. Try Pharma's lab address in my GPS. It took about an hour to get there, and when I arrived, I was kind of surprised at the sight of the building. And by surprised, I mean completely horrified. It looked like a run-down apartment complex. There were broken windows on the top floor. The bricks were stained with graffiti and years of abandon were probably going to break this place down soon. I checked the address again. Maybe I took a wrong turn, but no, it was the right one. I almost expected some cameras and someone telling me I got pranked or something, and then giving me a check to pay my gas and some more for trouble. I walked up to the door and rung the bell, and surprisingly, a smooth lady's voice broke through the intercom. My name is Harrison Riggs. I'm here for the trials. My code is HR-73X8. And that was the code I was given by the scientist, which appeared on my file on the papers she gave me with the address on. And after a couple of seconds, a hellish buzzing noise broke through the atmosphere, and I could open the door. Normally, it's at this moment that you expect everything you've seen to be different. In a movie, I would enter this scary-ass building and inside would be pristine white walls and stainless steel decorations. It would look modern and there would be beautiful, young-looking nurses everywhere and I would be welcomed like a king. <laughs> but unfortunately, this was no movie. When I entered... The place was just as dirty as it was on the outside. The air was stale and reeked of dust. And worse, there was absolutely no one to welcome me. However, once I passed the entrance, I heard a familiar ding, and my eyes instantly found the source. An elevator. Once I was in, the doors closed, and the elevator went down. And let me tell you, that was some men in black shit if I've ever seen it. I was expecting aliens to greet me once the door would reopen, but nah. Only rusted metal platforms and a bunch of people stacked behind glass cells. And a cold shiver ran down my body as I considered going back up, but the smooth-voiced lady came to greet me. She told me that her name was Shyla, and that she ran this facility on behalf of Tripharma. She also told me that I didn't need to worry about the allure of everything, and that everyone here was treated humanely. The glass cells were just a measure to keep a better observation on the patients. And from what I could tell standing on this platform, most seemed to be asleep or just out of it. 
They were probably high on something. Someone like me who barely ever smoked pot would probably end up looking like them in a few hours. I followed her and she led me through a maze of tunnels. She showed me the cafeteria where there were some patients and doctors eating. The lounge where we could watch TV if we were not stuck in our bed with symptoms. And a gym. She said it was mostly for health exams, but that the patients and staff were allowed to train if that's what they wanted. And then she led me to my room, which looked nothing like a hospital room. First, I had a queen-size bed, a small bookshelf with worn-down works of fiction from various authors I'd never heard of, and a closet full of those blue gowns you find in hospitals that leaves your butt out in the open for anyone to see. She told me to get comfortable, gave me a map, and then proceeded to tell me that she needed my phone, as they were prohibited so close to the lab. She said that I could mess with the machines or something. And I gave her my phone and sat on the bed as she left. There was this knot in my stomach, and it kept getting bigger by the second. And since I wasn't going to disappear, I guess the only thing I could do was get it done and over with. Following the map, I made my way to the cafeteria. The trials would only start tomorrow, so I would be better getting some food in my system before I had to be fasting for the next 12 hours. And what happened next, I'm not sure of. But one thing I'm certain is that the food was drugged, because 20 minutes after I was done eating, I fell asleep. Hard. When I came to, I heard that soft voice again, telling them to increase something to a certain number of cc, and that I was reacting very well. I passed out again after a few seconds later, and I woke up some time later and again. The voice was saying the results were incredible, that even he was getting better. Were they referring to me? I opened my eyes and crossed her gaze. When she realized my eyes were open, she told the nurse to put me under again, and I completely passed out. This wasn't how I expected the trials to go, but part of me was relieved. I didn't feel anything at all. I eventually woke up and there wasn't any talking. The lights were dim, so it was probably somewhere in the middle of the night. And well, to be completely honest... I didn't even know how long I'd been sleeping. Could be a day, could be a week. They did say I would be done by Friday, though, so probably not a week. When I tried to move, I realized that the drugs were still wearing me out. My body felt heavier than it had ever been. My tongue was thick and dry, and I felt sick. I turned my head right and saw my reflection in what could only be a two-way mirror since this was an experimentation room. I also quickly realized that I was not alone in this room. There was another guy on my left, also lying on the hospital bed and plugged by several machines, but he was also kept in a glass case. I turned my head around and my heart rose in my throat. If I hadn't been pumped full of drugs and my stomach was empty... I would have vomited until I passed out again. Next to me was the corpse of a man that looked exactly like me. 
The rotten hole in his cheek was more than enough to convince me of his status. The necrosis had done some serious damage to the skin on his chest, and bouts of his ribcage were exposed. I could see his veins through his pallid skin, and his dead gray tongue through the hole in his cheek. There wasn't any blood in his body, and yet there was a beeping monitor. And how did I know there wasn't any blood? Well, because he looked gray all over, and that hole in his chest wasn't bleeding. Now, such a sight would have disturbed any man. But the fact that it was an almost perfect replica of my body on the other table made me freak out a hell of a lot more. We even shared birthmarks in the form of a gun on the upper right thigh. I don't know how I managed to do it, but I unplugged myself from everything that was stuck in me and I stood up. I took a step forward and examined the corpse, and really, it was me. It was like staring in the open casket of my own glass coffin. I saw the scars I got when I was a wee kid. I saw the weird bump behind my ear and the discolored patch of skin near my armpit. All of this was on that corpse. Every part of me screaming, run, go, get the hell out of here. My own voice echoed loudly in my brain, and without thinking any further, I made a beeline for the door. I ran through the hallways, but without my map, I couldn't find my way out easily. I turned a corner and ran straight into that female doctor, and before I could react, she howled. Breach. It escaped. It. I stopped thinking. I shoved her aside and followed my senses. I would go where I heard people speaking. I was bound to find any way out. And I was right. After turning around a few hallways, I found the cafeteria. I didn't care that I was running around like a crazed fool, wearing nothing but a pastel blue hospital gown with my ass hanging out. Now, I found the elevator and pressed the button up, and then the doors to close it, just in time to see her use a walkie-talkie in the distance. And I was expecting some super-secret government security to intercept me once the elevator doors would open. But they didn't. I ran through the abandoned building and found my SUV waiting for me outside, just where I left it. Fortunately, I paid good money for a keyless car, so I quickly tapped my code on the door's digital pad and then drove off at the speed of light. Obviously not that fast, but you know what I mean. I didn't even bother to check behind me to see if I was followed. I just made it all the way back home without stopping, and every second for the hour drive back home, I felt like throwing up. And now that I was in the car, I realized there was a pungent smell to me. I wondered if the decaying corpse next to me was responsible for the stench. I didn't care. I'd wash it all off once I was home and call the authorities on them because clearly that had been something illegal. I got into the driveway and rushed inside the house, and when I saw my wife at the computer, I started crying. 
She turned around and screamed. She screamed so loudly that I swear my eardrums were about to explode. She started screaming, asking me who I was and what I was doing in her house. And I told her it was me. And I tried to tell her, but she got the gun from her desk's drawer and pointed it at me. I heard the bang and felt a pressure on my shoulder. I fell to the ground in shock, but even more so when I reached for my wound and didn't feel any warmth, any stickiness. And in fact, I didn't even feel pain. With all the blood my heart had been pumping, it couldn't be possible that the drugs were still affecting me. And for some reason, I decided to check something. I reached two fingers behind my ear. I didn't have a bump. I moved my gown as my wife screamed not to move, that she would shoot again. But I had to look. I didn't have my birthmark. I heard another bang. And then a ringing in my ears. When I woke up, I was back at the facility in one of those glass prison cells. When I moved my gown, the scar was back where it belonged. I heard heels clicking on the ground and looked towards the door seconds before it opened. Mr. Ricks, I have some great news. Everything's been taken care of, and you'll be able to go home this afternoon. I was in complete shock. I was absolutely confused. What about my wife? I asked her. Her smile didn't even flinch. Everything's been taken care of. Just remember the contract you have signed, and everything will be fine. The next day I came home and found my wife at her computer. Honey? She turned around instantly, and her smile stretched. She looked as beautiful as the first day I'd met her, and she rose from her seat and embraced me tightly. How was Toronto? Before I could answer, I received a notification on my phone. A direct deposit had been made in my account for $4,000 from Trifarma. I paused for a second, then knew what I had to do. Toronto was boring without you there. We should go on that vacation we talked about. How about we look at travel fairs today? <laughs>